Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. And turn to Galatians 2, 11 through 21. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. But because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness went, were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's give it up for God's word. We love God's word around here. Let's give it up for Caesar. My man, let's go. Affectionately, I have a six and eight year old. They love Caesar and they call him little Caesar. Um, they love it. Uh, what's up, y'all? My name is Kevin. Uh, I'm one of our pastors here at Mosaic. Uh, I get to oversee biblical formation here. Uh, my main, I do quite a few things, but my main role is... Uh, what we call learning spaces. So on Tuesday nights and Wednesday mornings, we have Bible studies and classes uh, that help people learn uh, doctrine and the faith and practice uh, in a way that deepens our relationship with Jesus. So I get to do uh, that and love it and then be a part of other uh, things like you guys and uh, watching God continue to use you guys and work in your hearts. Um, and so we're walking through Galatians. If you weren't here last week, Caesar opened us up in uh, Galatians chapter one. Uh, I think each week we're taking just a, a portion of the chapter to kind of summarize the whole chapter. Uh, but this is uh, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, uh, and they are tempted to uh, set aside grace uh, for the sake of earning and achieving. And Paul is uh, rightfully so upset and, and loving uh, towards his people. And so he writes this letter to root them in the grace of the gospel. The gospel of grace is the title of this series. Let's pray and ask that God would speak to us tonight through his word. And before I pray, I would just ask that, I know you've spent a lot of time praying tonight, but just to, as we open up the word, um, the psalmist uh, prays, if, like, this is a psalmist. This is a person filled with the spirit, carried by the spirit. And even they pray, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your word. We all need to pray that prayer because pizza is wonderful to us. Netflix is wonderful to us. All these other things is wonderful, but the word of God isn't naturally wonderful to us. We need the Holy Spirit to come and open the eyes of our hearts to see 
the wonders of the beauties of God's word. So let's pray and ask that the spirit would do that in us tonight. Open our eyes, you pray, and then I'll pray for all of us. Father, would you send your spirit into each and every heart in this room and shine the light on the glory of Christ. May the love of Jesus meet the depths of every heart in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So how many of you guys uh, played any kind of sports growing up? Raise your hand. Any kind of sport. Cool. Hopefully like 98% of the room uh, has played a sport before. How many of you guys ever had a coach? Uh, so if you played sports, you've had a coach before. I had a coach that was a particularly difficult coach. Like it was that coach that ran you, had it out for you. Like you had one of those coaches. You guys raise your hand if you had one of those coaches before. Okay, so about over half the room, right? So for me, uh, that was uh, during when I played uh, varsity basketball. I loved basketball in high school. It was my favorite sport. I literally thought I was going to the NBA. Um, and then God woke me up and was like, nah, bro, that, that ain't you. Uh, um, and so, but in high school, I played for this coach called Coach Mackey. Coach Mackey was the devil incarnate, bro. I like played for this guy. And so when I didn't play for Coach Mackey, right, I played pickup basketball. I had fun. I would say I was pretty decent. Like I stood out as, as a pretty good like shooter and good handles. Like I love basketball. But then when I played for Coach Mackey, when I went out on the court, Uh, and he was watching, I played totally differently because I knew if I messed up, if I missed a shot or I had a turnover, immediately Coach Mackey was going to, one, yell at me in front of everybody, and then he was going to take me out of the game. So instead of playing for fun and in freedom of the game of basketball, I played under the audience of my coach. And because I played for his approval, I played in fear rather than freedom. What I normally could do in the game of basketball, the freedom of all the things that I could do was squelched and paralyzed under the fear of what my coach thought of me. Actually, most of my high school year, I I rode the bench because I played in fear rather than freedom. And the way I played basketball then is a lot of the way that many of us live our lives today that rather than living in freedom, not riding the bench of living in the mission of God and making Jesus known to the ends of the earth, rather than stepping into the freedom of all that Jesus has freed us into, we live in fear because we're scared of what the world out there thinks about us. We're going to look at a passage where Paul speaks into the fear of man the kind of fear of man that would paralyze us and squelch us and have have us ride the bitch rather than freely live into the mission of God for the glory of God to the ends of the earth. So here's the main idea that I want to unpack tonight from Galatians chapter two is this. The love of Jesus frees us from the fear of man. 
The love of Jesus frees us from the fear of man. And we're going to talk about some things that are familiar, that are cliche. As we talk about the love of Jesus, and many of us in this room are what we call inoculated to the love of Jesus when we hear about it. What does that mean? So if you were vaccinated, we're not going to like debate in vaccines or anything. If you were vaccinated during COVID, what happens is when they uh, wanted to vaccinate you is they would give you a little bit of the virus so that you would have immunity to the virus. You would be indifferent to the virus. And some of us have just enough gospel. We have just enough exposure to the love of Jesus that there has grown in us an indifference to the love of Jesus to where we hear it on Thursdays and Sunday mornings. We hear the preacher that they're talking about it, but we're unmoved by it because we have just a little bit of enough of it. And my prayer is that the spirit of God would overcome our inoculation here tonight and reawaken our hearts, restore to us, David prays, restore to us the joy of our salvation. That's what we're praying tonight. And that's what I'm asking God to do uh, in our hearts. So I'm gonna real quick transition uh, from chapter one into chapter two. How are we in chapter two and where Paul is now? Uh, so last week, uh, if you were here, uh, Caesar beautifully unpacked how uh, grace actually saves, that grace uh, the grace of God saves us. And it doesn't just save a few people, it can save anyone. That if it saved a guy like Paul, a terrorist, and can make him an apostle, the grace of God can save anybody in this room. And so into chapter two, the grace that saved Paul sends Paul to those who have never heard of Jesus. And so people are a little skeptical, like, bro, Paul, you used to kill Christians. We're not so sure about you. So Paul is discipled. He learns for 14 years. He goes to the, the three dudes who are closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and they confirm him. They're like, yes, we confirm that you have received the grace of God. They give him the right hand of fellowship. Uh, it's in chapter two, verses nine through 10. Um, and they, they commend him and they give him the right hand of fellowship and they send him off uh, into uh, planting more churches. And they tell him, hey, just make sure that you remember the poor. And Paul's like, yeah, I was, I was eager to do that. I'm on board with that. And so Paul would have heard like the gospel, the good news of Jesus is for everybody, even the poor, even the people who are overseen and outcasts. But when Peter commends that, hey, make sure you preach to the, make sure you preach the gospel to everybody that you don't exclude anybody. Peter's gonna act differently than what he commended Paul to do. And that's where we pick up in verse 11. But when Cephas, Cephas is also uh, Peter's name. He has two names in scripture. Cephas means rock. Remember when Jesus says, I should call you Cephas for on this rock, I will build my church. Um, he went both Peter and Cephas. I don't exactly know why Paul uses both. Some people call me KD. Uh, some people call me Kevin. I just have interchangeable names. I think it could be the same uh, way. But Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned uh, which means that he stood in the wrong. I love a couple of things about this is, is Paul confronts Peter. This is a big deal because Peter's a big deal. Peter like is named all throughout the gospels. You see him in Acts and he's killing it. He preaches this message, the gospel and 3000 people are saved. Like Peter does amazing things. Peter is kind of a big deal in the kingdom of God. But to Paul, the gospel is an even bigger deal that for Peter to step out of line with the gospel is enough grounds to call out even Peter. This is another like evidence that, that Paul's um, 
commendation doesn't come from man, doesn't come from Peter, it comes from Jesus himself. But then Paul confronts him to his face. This is, a, this is a sermon that we could just spend all the time. I'm going to be right here. Let's go. So this is a sermon that we could spend some time on here tonight, right? Paul confronts him to his face. He doesn't tweet about it. He doesn't Facebook post about it. He doesn't gossip about it. He doesn't slander uh, 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 Peter. He goes to Peter's face. And he calls out Peter in front of everybody. Look at verse 14. But when I saw their conduct, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all. Now, the reason he does this is because Cephas has created a following. His fear and his hypocrisy has spread to others who are following him. And so uh, really Paul is calling out a group of people, right? So he's not just like looking for opportunity to, to, to blast Peter in front of everybody. It's because Peter's sin was corporate and public. So he calls them out corporately and publicly. So, but why? Why does he confront Peter? So what's going on in the story? Um, they're in the city called Antioch, which is a city of Gentiles. Gentiles is anybody who's not Jewish. I assume it's most of us in this room. If you're not Jewish by ethnicity, then you are a Gentile. And, and uh, Peter, who is Jewish by ethnicity, is with these Gentiles and they're having lunch. They're having Chipotle. They are enjoying a meal together. They're laughing, music's going, they're fellowshipping and talking about Jesus and having a grand good time, right? And then Peter sees off in the distance down the dirt road uh, on the way into Antioch. He sees his old friends. He sees these Jews who he's been friends with for a long time. And this group of friends has always avoided Gentiles because Gentiles are known to be unclean. So all throughout the Old Testament, Gentiles, because they ate things they weren't supposed to eat and touched things they weren't supposed to touch, they were considered unclean. And they were because they were unclean, couldn't come into the presence of God. And so Jews would avoid them so that they could worship God. But now in the New Testament, Jesus has fulfilled all this, the ceremonial laws. And so Peter in Acts chapter 11 and 15 is revealed like from Jesus, this dream that Gentiles are no longer unclean if they trust in Jesus, because Jesus is what cleanses us, not laws, not these ceremonial laws that purify. But they're so used to avoiding Gentiles. And there's this group of his friends that are like, bro, if we see Peter with these dudes, we're gonna judge him. And so what Peter does is he acts hypocritically. Verse 13 says that he acts um, in out of accord with what he knew to be the case, that Gentiles in Jesus are clean. But why does he act hypocritically? That's kind of surface level of his behavior. Verse 12 shows us the root of his hypocrisy. For before certain men came from James, James is kind of like a leading Jew. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Why did he act hypocritically? Because he was filled with the fear of man. Now he's not fearing persecution, like they're not gonna kill him, but what Peter is fearing losing is what Paul earlier talks about that he's not scared of losing. In Galatians chapter one, verse 10, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Peter fears losing the approval of man. He fears that when his homies show up, that they're going to reject him. 
that they're going to dismiss him, that they're going to unfollow him, that they're going to unsubscribe, that they're going to cancel him. He is fearful of what they will think about his actions. And so he draws back. He separates himself from the Gentiles. Peter was filled with the fear of man. He had a increasing love for the approval of man. Now, the approval of people is not in and of itself a bad thing. God created us to encourage one another and affirm one another. It's not a evil thing to, to want to be a likable person. But when a good thing like approval becomes a God thing, it becomes a crushing thing. Listen to this quote and how, uh, how we tend to worship approval and how it affects our lives. This pastor says this, the desire to be loved and affirmed is healthy and natural. The problem for the person with the approval idol, however, um, is that, that they are not ultimately satisfied with God's love for them and they seek love and affirmation from those they deem important. So people who worship approval do just about anything to make people happy with them. Approval worshipers often overcommit, overpromise, and overstate in order to gain affirmation from others. They are radically insecure in their identity in Christ and fear rejection of people above a biblical fear of God or a hatred of sin. This leads to paralyzing worry about what others think of them. And this was Peter's struggle, and this is many of our struggle. What is Peter known for in the gospels? Like what's the big story that we remember him by? This isn't the, that's right. That's right, brother. But we remember Peter denying Jesus three times. We remember in the gospels when he separated himself and he drew back because he feared what the crowds would do to him if he claimed Jesus. This is Peter. He's seen the resurrected Jesus. He's seen miracles from the Holy Spirit all throughout Acts and still he struggles man, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. We never, none of us, guys, listen, none of us in this room, me and like I would say the foremost, especially in regards to caring too much about what people think about them, none of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. If you have a, a pulse, there is an extent to which you care too much about what people think about you. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to take it even deeper than just the fear. That fear doesn't just come out of nowhere. It arises out of missing something. And so Paul's going to continue. And what he's going to do with Peter is he's not going to stroke his ego and be like, yo, Peter, you're an awesome guy. You have no reason to fear. Like, look at all the other stuff you've done through all through our acts, bro. You could just like, like there was a time where people like lied to the apostles, lied to Peter. They were just drop dead. Like, bro, you could just like, Drop them dead, probably. Like you could do it. You could do all these. Like what? What Paul does is doesn't point to to Peter to overcome Peter's fear. Look at the way he points to verse fourteen. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, Peter's fear arose from being out of step with the gospel. So a couple of things that Paul wants you and I to get when he says that they were out of step with the gospel and their conduct. One is that the gospel is news. It's a truth. It's not advice. It's not a list of things to do. It's not do this. It is 
done. It is an announcement. It is a good news, which we'll unpack and talk about in a second. It's a truth and you just receive it and, and know it. But secondly, it's not just a truth. It's a kind of truth that leads to implications. It's a kind of truth that moves you, All right? So for instance, if I said, hey, if I pulled you up after this and I got a call from like, I don't know who would call me, a lawyer called me and I said, hey, like is so-and-so there? And I, and I was like, yeah, they're here. And uh, they wanted me to come tell you, hey, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but you have this relative that you didn't actually know about and they just passed away. And in their will, they left you millions of dollars in an inheritance. So tomorrow they're gonna call you and they're going to deposit that money into your account and it's yours. So a couple of things. One, I just shared with you a truth, right? But it's not just a truth, it's a truth with implications. It's gonna change how you think, it's gonna change how you feel, and it's gonna change how you act. Because when you leave this place, you're going on Facebook, you're gonna call up everybody that you know and be like, bro, I'm a millionaire. Everything changes. Guys, and even more so, infinitely more so with the good news of the gospel. When this truth comes into our lives, it changes the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we act. When it gets into us, everything changes. It's a, it's a truth that shapes how we live. And Paul's saying to Peter, your living is out of step. It's not, it doesn't match up with the implications of what the gospel has accomplished. Your life is misshaped. It's not shaped by the good news of the gospel. So what, why gospel though? Like, this is really interesting. Like for a lot, if a lot of us like think about it, like bro, like Peter knows the gospel. Peter preached the, Acts chapter two, bro. He preaches the gospel and 3000 people get saved. Like Peter was one of the closest dudes to Jesus. Like if anybody knows the gospel, it should be Peter. John chapter 20, like you guys just closed John. Remember Jesus like, basically gives Peter grace, like feed my sheep and I love you, Jesus. And remember that? Like had all these close encounters with Jesus. Like Peter should know the gospel. Isn't it interesting that out of all the things Paul pulls out of his tool belt, instead of like, hey bro, like get it together. Come on, man. Like, you know, like he reminds him of the gospel. And aren't these, like, aren't they already Christians? Like, isn't Peter already, why, why share the gospel with someone who already is a Christian? Verse 16, right? It says, yet we know. He's talking about me and you, Peter. We, we know these things. He also goes on to say, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And it's not just that we're Christians. Like, this is Peter, yo. Like, this dude has done amazing things for the gospel. So why give him the gospel? Why share something with Peter that Peter already knows? And here's the best illustration that, that comes to my mind. So my favorite Disney movie, bro, from the 90s, okay? I'm a 90s kid. And so you've probably seen this movie, but it really resonates with me, okay? So Lion King is by far the best Disney movie there is. It just like, they tried to recreate it. It was a flop. It just doesn't match up with the original classic, the Lion King, okay? Um, and so there's this part in the movie that reflects what Paul's doing with Peter, okay? So Simba, uh, after he, uh, Mufasa dies, uh, he thinks that he killed his own dad. And so he goes off into uh, the bush. He goes off into the wilderness and he meets a meerkat and a pig. And uh, yeah, Timon and Pumbaa. I'm sorry, I should have called him by their names. That was, that, was, that was bad. And so uh, he's eating bugs and he is not living the life of a king right? He is living out in the wilderness. He's not living in light of who he actually is. 
and he's kind of lost and he's lost his way. And there comes this moment where he goes out into this field and, and kind of falls in despair and clouds open up, right? Simba, right? And he says, <laughs> and he says, Simba, he says, he says, I am your father or whatever. And then, and then, uh, so this scene right here, you guys remember it. And so where does he tell, where does he tell Simba though, right? He says, Simba, you've forgotten who you are. You are my son. You belong to me. Remember who you are. Simba knows who he is, but what Mufasa knows about him is that you've forgotten who you are. Remember who you are. And he kind of goes back off into the clouds. Remember, 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 right? This is what Paul's doing with Peter. Peter's, I mean, Paul's coming in the clouds to Peter and be like, remember who you are. You know this, but you've forgotten who you are. The problem with Simba, the problem with Peter, and your problem and my problem is that we are all prone to forget what we know. Fear is rooted in forgetting what you already know. It's this phrase called gospel amnesia. Everyone say gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia, listen, this is how I define it. It is our daily propensity, a daily propensity to live without the reality of the gospel on the forefront of our minds and hearts. It is your propensity and my propensity on a daily basis to forget the gospel. So we have all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments, these commands from God to take care, remember, don't forget. I'll read just a few. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Verse 23, the same chapter, same chapter, just a few verses later. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And then you go and you make idols after yourself. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 12. Then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Chapter 8, verse 11. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules and statutes, which I command you today. Then there's this one verse, bro, in the New Testament. One dude really gets down to don't forget. And guess who it is? Second Peter, verse one, verses nine through 10. So Peter unpacks these qualities of being like Jesus. And he says, forever who lacks these qualities of being like Jesus is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Take care, lest you forget to confirm or to remember, to know your calling and election. Peter, because of his experience of being confronted and opposed by Paul, is like, don't forget, because I forgot. I forgot. And if Peter had the propensity to forget the gospel and live in fear, how much more us? How much more do we need to take care lest we forget? And so what Paul does is in verse 16 and on, as he unpacks the beauty of the gospel, justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Verse 15 through 16, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
So this phrase basically is saying like, we're Jews by birth, that we have um, the covenants, we have the laws that were not known as Gentile sinners. Gentile sinners is like a, as a phrase. He's not saying we're not sinners and they are. He's just saying that this is what we've been known by. And, and yet, verse 16, yet, even though we were born with the covenants, the laws and all these good things, yet we know, and this is the gospel, this is the good news, this is the, the central center of this passage. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed or trusted in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What Paul wants us to get is how we are justified. He wants Peter and you and I to remember, or maybe to know for the first time, I don't, I don't know everyone here, how we are justified. Everyone say justified. I like when you repeat after me, bro. I love that. Justified. This is what the word justified means. To be declared completely and permanently righteous. To be declared, not made, but to be declared, to be told you are perfectly, completely righteous. And before I dive further into justification, I need to, I need to unpack righteous, righteousness, okay? So here's what Paul knows about you and about me. This is why justification matters for you so much. It's because we all, all of Winter Garden, all of Orlando, Florida, all of the ends of the earth, we all want righteousness. Be like, bro, like, for real? Like, I know some pretty evil people, bro. They don't want righteousness. So that sounds strange to us because like, and even like none of us woke up this morning like, hey, bro, I want some righteousness today, bro. Like if I could just get some more righteousness, I'm gonna have a good day. Like none of us do that, right? Because when we tend to think about righteousness, we tend to define it by doing good things and, and not doing bad things. We, we put it on moral terms. But when they thought righteousness, um, in, in the scripture, like they didn't think about doing bad things and, and not doing, um, like you know, doing good things and not doing bad things, right? They would have thought righteousness as being right with something or someone. So the end goal wasn't just to be like good or not be bad. It was to be right with someone, to be at like a level of okayness with someone or something, right? And this is what we all long for, right? And this is what he gets at in chapter, uh, in verse 21. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is what Paul's getting at is this righteousness that we all long for. And so like to give an example, like if I pay my mortgage for my home, I pay off the bills, then I'm right with the bank, right? Or if I um, am spending time with my friends, and connecting with, connecting with them. You feel in the rights with them. Uh, if you don't have time for them and life gets busy, uh, you're not connecting, you feel like you're not right with them, right? Uh, or with my wife over here, Diana, if I say like something doesn't feel right, I'm not talking about like there's something good or something bad. It just feels like we're kind of like not right right now. Something feels off. We don't feel connected. We need to talk and do things that helps us to feel right again. And Paul is saying this is the need and the ache of all of humanity. Why? Because in the garden, we were created to have this rightness, this okayness with God. 
It's called original righteousness. But when we sinned and when we rebelled, when we decided to do life our own way, what did we do? We hid and we covered ourselves and we sought our own okayness. We sought our own covering. And we all as humans do the same thing where we want this okayness and we have this gnawing feeling in us that in this endeavor to be right, that we're unlovable, that we don't belong, that everyone else is better than us, that people don't have the same struggles that we do. There's this gnawing ache in us to be right, to be okay. And that, that lie and that, that desire can be louder, I think, for a lot of us who grew up in broken families Right, where you extra feel like you're unlovable, unwanted. But I've seen even in those of us who were raised in really healthy homes, like I just moved from a, a county in Georgia, the wealthiest county in Georgia with really loving families. And that county actually had uh, statistically the most depressed and anxious kids in all of Georgia. And healthy, rich homes, right? Thinking that I can, if I just have the right amount of wealth, if I have the right amount of academics, if I go to the right college, then I'll have, I'll have okayness. And yet more emptiness, more un-okayness. And so this is why some of you can't look in the mirror because all you see is your imperfections. That's why some of you work so much. You're driven to work and be busy all the time because when you feel busy, you feel needed. So why some of you can't be still. You go from one relationship to another, one activity to another. That's why some of you binge watch Netflix all the time every evening because you want to escape this gnawing feeling that you have inside. It's why our moods are so often dictated by how people respond to us. It's why we get so fretful about our grades in school. While a lot of us have this slow burn anxiety in us boiling whenever we are at social gatherings. It's why we leave and we question man like when we leave social gathering like this, we question what people thought about us. Man, I wish I didn't say that. Man, I wish I would have said this. It's why Peter drew back and separated himself because he wanted righteousness. So how do we get right? That's what Paul's answering here. Paul is saying that we are not made right by achieving, by trying to make our own righteousness, that we find the righteousness that we long and ache for in Christ and in Christ alone. He alone is our righteousness. We're justified by Jesus, not by our own effort. We are settled in our okayness in Jesus alone. Christ alone gives the rightness we all long for before the God we were all made for. It's the great exchange. Jesus lived the life that you could never live. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. It's the great transfer where Jesus credits his righteousness to you, that you by the, the hands of faith, open empty hands of faith, receive his righteousness as a gift through faith. That's what faith is. And then your unrighteousness, your sin, is transferred to his account and he pays for it on the cross. It's what theologians call the great exchange. 
the Heidelberg Catechism, um, catechisms are a way of learning that children learn these ways and, uh, and it would be through questions and answers. They would memorize the question and you would, uh, they would memorize an answer. It was an easy way of being discipled and learning. Heidelberg is a, is a city in Germany and uh, the church wrote these really beautiful answers to really good, beautiful theological uh, questions. And they asked this question, how are you right with God? And I love the way they word the answer that arises from passages like Galatians 2.16. Listen to what they said. How are you right with God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and never having kept any of them, and even though I'm still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. That's good. That is gospel. That is good news. That despite you, because of Christ, God loves you with an unwavering, the Bible calls steadfast love. Steadfast love means steadfast, that it doesn't waver. It doesn't move. It is it is like solid, planted, rooted in one place. And what is that place? The performance of Jesus, not yours. And so when you have the righteousness of Jesus, the love of Christ is rooted in the righteousness of Jesus on your behalf. It doesn't move. One author says this, Peter had allowed the approval of people to erode his grasp of the approval that the gospel gives and the settled status that justification provides. This is the whole point of this passage. This is why Paul reminds Peter of justification. It's because Peter is living for approval, not from approval. Peter's living in fear, not in freedom. And that's how many of us are living today. Many of us are going about our days living for approval, not from approval paralyzed by the weight of what the world thinks about us. I'm landing the plane. I'm, I'm closing. Stay with me though. This guy named Jim Bunyan. Okay. He wrote this book called Pilgrim's Progress. My favorite, like, I guess one of my favorite books outside of the Bible. It's actually the most popular Christian book outside of the Bible. You should read it if you haven't read it. He wrote it in like the 1700s. But John Bunyan uh, talks about his testimony where he's walking through a field and he's riddled with fear. I don't read this quote about how God saved him and how he meditates or thinks about the righteousness of Jesus and how that freed him from fear. This quote is my wife's favorite quote and we have it on a poster uh, in our uh, home. And it says this, but one day as I was passing into the field with some dashes on my conscience, meaning some heaviness on my conscience, fearing yet that all was not right, remember that the righteousness that we talked about, fearing that all was not right, suddenly, this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There was my righteousness. Wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me that I lacked his righteousness for that was ever before him. Moreover, I saw that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. 
for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loose from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. Now I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. Christian, where is your righteousness right now? It's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Unmoving, steadfast, along with the love of God. Breathe. Be relieved. The God of the universe loves you fully and faithfully right now if you're in Christ. So how do we do this? How do we go about this life? Because this is hard. It's hard to keep the gospel on the forefront of our minds and our hearts. It's hard to fight gospel amnesia. And Paul gives us the answer and how we can live this life as we walk out into our lives, how we can walk in the freedom of the gospel rather than the paralyzing fear of man. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, he's talking about his mortal flesh, the life that he lives here on earth until he dies and is with Jesus. He says, now I live. That's a moment by moment, present sense. I live ongoingly by faith. That's knowing, I know, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, the old me is done away with and died with the death of Christ. That there is a new me, that Jesus knows my greatest need. And so Jesus gives himself to me personally, that Jesus takes up residence in my heart. And I get to, on a daily basis, with conscience effort, with, with, uh, with remembrance, I get to, by faith, look to the Son of God. I get to look to Jesus and remember that he gave himself, that he loves me. Yes, he loves the world, but it is important for you to know on a daily basis that Jesus loves you individually. He gave himself for you. That he loves you. Own that. Receive that. And what Paul is saying is, I'm going to think about that because listen, the law didn't die for me. Didn't give itself for me. Jesus did. The world didn't give itself for me. The world didn't die for me. Doesn't love me like Jesus does, but Jesus did. So I'm going to, by faith, I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to set my heart on him. Because here's what's true about Jesus. Here's what's true about Jesus. Jesus will never separate himself and draw away from you. Jesus will never in his heart be filled with fear. Jesus will never be filled with hypocrisy. Jesus is everything that Peter isn't. When Peter, when Peter has fear and he separates himself and he draws away from the Gentiles, Jesus will never do that. When Peter has fear, Jesus never will. When Peter acts hypocritically, Jesus never will. Jesus is everything that Peter isn't. Listen, Jesus is everything that you are not. And that is the best news in the world. That when I fall and I falter and I sin and I turn to whatever in this world, Jesus is not going to let me go because Jesus is in me. Praise God for that. Jesus loves you. Listen to me. You need to hear this. Jesus loves you if you trust in him alone. So three questions I wanna ask. And then I don't know what's next, but whatever next is gonna happen. All right, three questions. Three questions. One, let me ask you this. Whose approval matters to you right now? Who's your audience? You just 
answer that like honestly to yourself before God, by the grace of God? Whose approval to you matters? Whose rejection do you fear? Secondly, this is a practical question. What will it look like to take care so that you don't forget? Do you have rhythms daily to fight gospel amnesia? What would it look like for you to take care lest you forget? Are you taking care? And then third, the most important question tonight, where is your righteousness? What are you looking to for your okayness? Is it Jesus? Or is it something in this world? That's everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. Ben, you guys can come on up. I just want to gift you with a quiet moment between you and God. I'm not going to guide you in, in what to pray. But based on whatever God's doing in your heart right now, in light of his word, what's he asking you to bring before him? What's he asking you to confess to him? What do you need to tell him? I just wanna give you a, a quiet space to do that. And if you're here tonight, you don't know Jesus. You've been trusting in yourself to find okayness and you've been paralyzed and gripped with fear and anxiety and depression because you look to this world rather than Jesus. And Jesus is calling you to himself tonight. Trust in me. I'm better. I'll love you no matter what. So I encourage you to talk to one of us tonight. We'd love to have a conversation with you about trusting in Jesus. Take a quiet moment, talk to your God, and then we'll sing another song together. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.